welcome everybody today. I'm happy to tell you our roof works. We've had a lot of rain lately, haven't we? <laughs> we know we've got to get a new one one day, but uh, I don't see any buckets anywhere. I tell a little funny story that has nothing to do with anything, but in our old church, we had a bad problem with the roof leaks. And uh, uh, ceiling tiles would drop out. You know, when it would rain, ceiling tiles would fall down, and sometimes they might fall on someone. Well, anyway, one time, the, a ceiling tile fell down, and my, I used to play the tambourine. And I played it so bad that the music director threw my tambourine in the ceiling when that tile fell down and didn't tell me. Yeah, this is a true story. It's one of the shattering moments of my life. And when we changed the roof out, they found my tambourine. So I don't know where that came from, but maybe in the deep recesses of my soul, I still need to forgive uh, someone for that. What do you think? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's gone. That's for sure. But anyway, we're in Hebrews chapter 11 today. We had a couple of weeks where we were talking about the Christian heritage of America and being Christian patriots in America. But we're going back to Hebrews 11. It, it, the series is called Faith Endures and Faith Receives. And the purpose of this series is very deliberate. It's to be like a cornerstone in your, in your experience uh, as, as a Christian. The word faith is mentioned over 200 times in the New Testament. I would argue it's one of the most important words in the Bible itself. But the purpose of this series is to do several things. Number one, I want to provoke you to have faith in God. As opposed to just to say, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will happen will happen, or, you know, God is sovereign, He'll do what He wants to. I, I, I'm going to encourage your faith in God to be stronger, but I also want to emphasize alignment with His will. Because faith, the use of faith in the Christian vernacular, is not just like rubbing Aladdin's lamp. We want to align our faith to the purposes of God as best we understand them. And then we can do th two things. Number one, we can endure difficulty. Because how many know usually when God makes a promise, it's a period of time before that promise is fulfilled. So there's maybe some difficult times there, but then we want to be able to receive from God by faith. Faith is it's kind of like the currency of heaven. And the last part we want to receive in his timing. And that's the hard part for me because I'm a microwave kind of guy. How about you? I want it and I want it now. Well, we've been talking about faith in creation We've talked about heroes of the faith, Abel, Enoch, uh, Noah, you remember the great ark uh, and, and his faith. Well, today we're going to talk about another hero of faith, and his name is Abraham. Uh, he was married to this gal. Actually, his name first was Abram, and her name was Sarai, and they had a defining moment in their spiritual life and their maturity, and he became known as Abraham, and she became known as Sarah. Well, today we're going to talk about the his, their historical account. But in the Bible, the, when the Bible speaks of the greatest man of faith or the father of faith, it talks about this man, Abraham. So he is, I mean, I mean, people had faith throughout the Bible. I mean, no, Moses did some pretty amazing things. He took a rod, he pointed it at the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted. I mean, that's, that's an incredible miracle. He had faith to do that. But Abraham was a bit different. Now, Abraham, for three big ways, two historical. Number one, Abraham gave birth to the Jewish people. It was through the line of Isaac. Isaac had Jacob, uh, yeah, Jacob and J 
Yeah. Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob had the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's where the Jewish nation came from. But he also was used by God to establish the nation of Israel. So those are two historical things, but here's where it really applies to us. He's called the father of faith because he teaches you and I how to relate to God for our salvation. He teaches us how to walk every day through this thing called faith. So this is probably one of the most relevant characters in this whole chapter because he teaches us how to have relationship with God, how to be certain we'll have eternal life when we die, and how to, how to walk by faith every day of our life. Now, let's focus just a minute on the faith for our salvation, which is without a doubt the most important thing. And you know why it is? It's because sin is so serious. We, we live in a world that, have you heard the, the phrase sin talked about on any kind of news channel that you've watched in the last week, month, year, decade? You just don't hear it anymore. But sin is what separated us from God. Sin is why people die. Sin is why evil is in the world. Sin is why one day on what's called the great day of judgment, judgment day, that God is going to literally, some people will go to heaven and some people who die in their sin will go to a literal place called hell. Hell is not just a metaphor. It's spoken very literally in the Bible. But it's faith that allows us to be saved from all that and go to heaven. Let me read it to you. A little background here, Galatians chapter 3, the real children of Abraham. Now, the Jews claim that through the blood that they were biological children of Abraham, but now it becomes to all of us. To real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God, and that's us. Uh, what's more, the scriptures look forward to the time when God the would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of faith. Now, Gentile is us. It's any non-Jewish person. But notice that phrase, right in the sight of God because of their faith. So when God looks at a person on earth that's never walked with him, he sees a person that's living in sin that's away from him. And a person who has faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross, sacrificed his life, he became sin for us, that God would declare us righteous. It is imputed righteousness to us. And this faith in what Christ did is what opens the door for heaven to us. But not only that, it opens a door for a daily relationship with God. So he becomes our father. So that's a, a really big deal. Uh, Ephesians 2.8, the great scripture of the Protestant Reformation. You're saved by grace through what? Faith. faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So again, faith is arguably one of the most important words in all of the Bible because it teaches us how we properly relate to God. Now, let's jump into this. This is number five, part five in the series. But we're going to talk about first Abraham, the father of faith, and we're going to be in Hebrews. Uh, uh, Abraham will jump up to us in verse eight, but I want to read verse one again about what faith is. Hebrews 11 verse 1, it, it defines faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Now, usually when the world talks about faith, it's about a blind leap in the dark. It's a, you know, it's a hope. It's a dream. It's a wish. Uh, I hope I win the lottery if you play. 
And you do know if you play, there's a 90% tithe on any lottery winnings. It's, I think that's in the book of Maccabees. I'm not sure. I'm teasing. Okay, lighten up a little bit here. Um, now, see, you made me lose my place. Oh, the reality and evidence. So, so faith is a spiritual fact. It's not a wish. Faith becomes as factual as the scientist would do an experiment or the mathematician would develop a theorem that they define as true. Faith is the starting place for, you know, a creation. Uh, people that don't believe in God the Creator believe largely now the Big Bang Theory. It's more popular than the pre-existing universe. But they just believe that for some arbitrary, unexplained reason, these gases just got together, bumped around, and I'm being a little humorous here, these gases bumped around and created this perfect universe that is still expanding that we see before us. That takes a lot of faith to believe that. But faith for the believer is we believe in the deliberateness of a creator that spoke, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and the sun came. Let there be the lesser light, the moon. So as Christians, we, we have the start, same starting place, and it's by faith. But, but faith is not a wish. Let me, let me show you a picture here of, of what uh, faith is. Now, here's a chain, and I want you to imagine a, 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 a bulldozer gets stuck in the mud, and they bring another bulldozer, and it's, this, it's a long chain, and the chain breaks in the middle. Now, uh, that broken chain, what they did, notice they put a link in that chain that tied the free bulldozer from the stuck bulldozer, and now they used a different gear or got the chain a little tighter before they jerked, and they were able to pull it out. Well, I want you to see that top chain is God, and that bottom chain is us. It's our need. It's our desires. And that link is the link of faith that joins us to God. So faith is, is reality. It connects us to God. It's being certain God exists. How many, how many have ever seen Jesus face to face? Nobody. How many have ever seen heaven? Oh, you had a dream. You had a vision. Some have dreams or visions. But by and large, we've not seen. Now, how many believe in Jesus in heaven? What do you believe by? By faith. Well, guess what? People in the world that don't choose to have faith in Christ have faith in something else. We either cease to exist or we become one with the universe or whatever the case is. But, but faith is this sense of proof to convince us of unseen hopes will become reality. Now, Abraham, as we get into his life, here's his, here's his historical account. I don't like to use the word stories in the Bible because how many know Mickey Mouse has a story about him and Donald Duck are stories. But the Bible is the most verifiable historical account of ancient antiquity that is anywhere in the world and what the manuscripts that we possess. So Abraham was called by God at 75 years of age and God gave him an incredible promise. You're going to have a child. Now, Abraham had never had, Abram had never had children. His wife, Sarai, was barren. And how many know that's a stigma? If you're a woman today that, or wants to have kids, you can't have them for whatever reason. You know, there's help that you can get in, in vitro and all those kind of things. But in their day, listen, if you were barren, it was looked at as a curse, and she never had a baby. Well, he never had a son, and now God makes a promise at 75 you're going to have a son. The only problem is you're going to have to wait 25 years. Now, that's going to be next week, the testing of faith. 
our faith is tested. We'll look at part two. But he had to wait 25 years. And after 25 years, this son Isaac was born. And Isaac would become the father of the Jewish people through whom Jesus Christ would be born, the line of the tribe of Judah. So that's kind of his big picture. But let's begin reading now in Hebrews verse 8. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read several verses. I'll divert for a moment to Genesis. But I'm going to read these verses. And then we're going to make five what I call life applications. Because when I read the Bible, I don't just read for doctrine or for facts. I'm I'm reading for relevance. How can I apply this to my life? How can I make this a part of my everyday life? But let's begin. Hebrews 11 verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave his home and to go into another land that God would give him as an inheritance. Notice what it says he he went without knowing where he's going. Now, how many like to take a vacation, not knowing which way you're going? You just get in the car and go. I've done that sometimes because I tend to be one of these planners, rigid type people. And sometimes I just say, honey, let's just go and leave the other way. I want everything organized and all that. But I want to go back to Genesis a moment before I read any more and how the call happened. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, it was called Haran, leave your father's family. Now imagine if that was you. Leave not only your house, but leave your family, your brothers, your sisters, your golf buddies, your fishing buddies. Leave all your friends, and I want you to go to the land where I'm going to show you. God didn't even give him GPS coordinates. That's a joke. Let me try that again. God didn't even give him GPS coordinates. There you go. But God said, I'm going to make you in a great nation, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's us. So, and what did Abraham do? He went. Now, let me simplify this whole passage for you with this formula. God said go, and he did it. God told him to go somewhere to do something, and he did it. How many know if there's no action in faith, the faith is not real, it's not legitimate? And let me, let me, I'm going to slip in a little something about your soul, about whether you'll go to heaven or hell. How many know you're not going to go to heaven because you took communion? You're not going to go to heaven because you go to church. You're not going to go to heaven because you gave money for the poor, which is a good thing. Let me tell you why a person goes to heaven. He does two things. Number one, He believes in Jesus Christ as his Savior. But number two, listen now, he turns or she turns from her sinful life and begins to follow Christ. And if there is no turning, there is no biblical belief. If I simply, I was raised in church. I knew about Jesus. I believed it in my head, but I had never made the willful step to turn and follow Christ. Now, I'm going to give you a chance at the end of the service to make that decision today. But uh, let's begin reading now in verse 9. We're back to Abraham. When he reached the land, God promised him he stayed in the, ho- in the uh, Hilton, uh, Hilton uh, Hotel. No, he just simply lived there by faith. He was like a foreigner living in tents. So did his son Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was, now listen to this, now it takes a shift towards faith and heaven. He was looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. 
and now we shift to his wife, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Now, mind you, she's 90 when the baby's born. And all the women said, not me, yeah. <laughs> she's 90 when this baby's born. Uh, uh, she was barren. She'd never had a child, and she's old. But now listen to this. She believed that God would keep his promise. That is the essence of biblical faith. I believe Jesus said, those that believe in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And I face my death whenever that day comes with that confident hope in Christ. But this, she, she, she had this faith too. And then, uh, of course, she believed God to keep his promise. And a whole nation came from this one man, Abraham, good as dead, old man, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky, this is important, and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count the number of not only Israelites that would be born, but the people who by faith would embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior would follow. So let's look at the first life application. I'm going to give you five today, which, by the way, if you like to take notes, the notes are on the, the app, on the phone. You can scroll to the bottom, and they're my exact notes there. But the first life application is this, and it's a big one. Genuine faith is always linked to obedience. Genuine faith always has obedience. Remember in verse 8, by faith, Abraham did what? Obeyed when God called him to leave home. Faith without action, now listen, is a spiritual wish. Faith without action is a spiritual wish. You say, where do you get that? Thank you for asking. James chapter 2 in the New Testament says this, faith by itself that does nothing is, is dead. It's meaningless. Faith without works is dead. Uh, James goes on to say, I'll show you my by faith by what I do. He didn't say I'll show you my faith by what's just in my head. But, but the belief in my head will prompt me to act. If you got a text right now from a neighbor and said your house is on fire, you would believe your neighbor and you would go quickly to get home as quick as you could to make sure the dogs and pets and you got the family photos of you could get them out. You would act on that because you believed in it. Uh, the Message Bible said, uh, I show you uh, faith in works, works in faith, fit together, hand in glove. Now, Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, uh, was so distraught by this, this verse that he didn't believe the book of James should be included in the New Testament canon. Again, Martin Luther came from the Catholic tradition that at that point in history had degraded into a works religion. If you know anything about indulgences or buying your way into heaven or buying God's favors, it had become a, a, a religious system of works and Martin Luther said, hey, wait a minute, guys, read the Bible. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any should boast. So he came from one extreme, and, and he was a little concerned, but there's no contradiction between the two. All James is saying is this, true faith has the evidence that you act on it. Amen. Do you know we're in this building today because we signed a contract? Those of you that have been with us for a while, we've been in this building about two years, but we were over on Mall Drive for a long time. 30 years the church was over there. And uh, uh, we were looking around. We found out we couldn't remodel that building. It was, it was just too, too much money. And the only building in town, I don't mean the only church building, the only building in town that would work for us was this building. 
I mean, it was cost prohibitive to build a new building to buy and start from. It's the only one in town. I mean, I mean, but yet they wanted four and a half million dollars for it. And none of us had four and a half million dollars. You say, well, take out a note. Well, okay. Well, for four and a half million dollars, all you get is a place where you can sell fish hooks and duck decoys. Come on now. And shotgun shells. So, so, but at some point, and mind you now, COVID is sneaking up on us. But it just seemed good to us in the Holy Ghost to take a step. So we signed. Actually, you signed. Church on the Rock, Texarkana by John Miller, president. <laughs> but, but, but we signed on the dotted line. That's what faith does. Faith acts. And if you don't act, I mean, you can have a dream. I met a, a, a young girl last night, and uh, she goes to our church. She's working at Chick, uh, Chick-fil-A, and I, I like their salads. And, and uh, I went inside there. We struck up a conversation. She's 18. So she's got her whole life ahead of her, and, but she doesn't know what she wants to do. And I said, well, you need to start dreaming and asking God and come up with a half a dozen things that maybe, you know, inspire you and, and then go and talk to people that work in those professions and then give yourself, even if it takes 10 years, give yourself to whatever kind of training, education, development that it takes to bring you to that place. Well, how many know if she doesn't take the first step, she'll still be working at Chick-fil-A come on when she's 25. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. But if God's called you to be an architect, an engineer, if God's called you to be an astronaut, I mean, no, you got to take some big steps, and those steps are taken by faith. And that's the first one. Faith is always linked to obedience. Now, here's the second life application. Sometimes it's not clear where our faithful obedience will lead us. Uh, Remember verse 8, he went without knowing where he was going. How many are comfortable with that? How many would be comfortable with God just, you know, we we say that, you know, God speaks to us, but it's not always easy to hear the Lord. Come on now. Sometimes we hear what our head wants to hear. Sometimes people tell us what they want to tell us. It's hard to hear the Lord, but God does speak and God does have a will. Well, if you become God's will is convinced, God has called you. I just want you to leave your home and go uh, east. Well, how hard would that be for you? That would be real hard for me because I got a lot of stuff to leave behind. I like to know where I'm going. Come on. I like to know where I'm going to eat lunch on Sunday. But for Abraham, it was just go. And he went, he obeyed, but it was not clear. 33 years ago, uh, I had an invitation to preach on a Wednesday night when the church was at Mall Drive. And uh, I was pastoring in Palestine, Texas at the time, and I was driving from Palestine here. Not, I, I was not looking for the next, you know, bigger church. I was not climbing the church ladder. We were happy where we were in Palestine, felt we were to be there a couple years. But in the drive on Highway 155 between Linden and Tyler, I crossed a body of water, and I remember cypress trees were there. We, we crossed it a couple Saturdays ago, Linnell and I, and I said, honey, I think this is the place God spoke to me. And I crossed that bridge. I'd never preached a sermon at the church. I hadn't seen a financial statement, didn't know really anything about it, but I had gotten a letter from somebody that was mad and said, if you come to this church, your family's going to be destroyed. The true story. But I got across that bridge and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. I want you to take the church in Texarkana. Now that was a step for me, but think about my poor wife. She's still in Palestine and God didn't speak to her. 
God spoke to a 30-year-old that wasn't that, <laughs> wasn't that smart or experienced yet. But we took a step of faith, not knowing, not knowing how divided the church was. It was horribly divided. You know, there'd been some little splits. The church was broke. Well, you ever heard the phrase, broke as a church mouse? <laughs> well, the church was so broke, we didn't even have any mice. Actually, I'll tell you how broke it was. We got, this is kind of funny. This is not intended to be bragging, but just a little factual, let you know a little bit about my wife. We got here, and uh, 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 the pastor was driving a really nice car, and he was living in a rented house, but it was a really rented nice house in a nice subdivision. And I thought, man, I'm fixing to take a step up in life. <laughs> Moving from a church of 100 to a church of several hundred people here, now, forgive me if you think I'm a materialist, but you are too. Uh, that's just the way that it works in my profession. And, uh, and they were going to, and so anyway, so we get here and, and after a week or two, we realize the church is broke. How many know when you start getting overdraft notices from the bank's previous administration, you know you're broke? So Linnell said, well, I'll just work for nothing. And she didn't just work when she felt like she worked as hard as I did, as many hours as I did. You know, work for years for nothing. And they were going to give me this, a, a lease, a real nice car for me too. So I was going to be a, you know, back then what I thought was a fancy preacher. And when I realized the church was broke, I said, I'll stick with my old Honda. So why are you saying all this to me today? Sometimes you don't know what the future holds when you follow God. But let me tell you what, here's where I am now at this stage of my life because I said yes to God and didn't quit when it was hard. And just a few weeks ago, we gave $30,000 to Resurrection of Hope to be able to remodel two rooms for men coming out of prison that wanted a halfway house that would teach them the basics of Christianity. $30,000. Where did that come from? It came from you. How did that happen? God. Over time, you just don't know. And I'm not just saying bad things or difficult things, but I'm saying how really good it can be. Come on now. When you get to the place in life where God wants you to be. All right, let's look at another one. Number three here. Faith, and this is probably the most exciting one to me. Anchored in a promise from God. And I keep saying that because faith is not an Aladdin's lamp. I want a pink Cadillac. I want a pink Cadillac. I want a pink Cadillac. Faith, that's not faith. Faith, but, but sometimes we don't always know what God's will is. Are you, can you agree with me on that? It is really hard for me to know God's will when it relates to my life, my family, because I have a lot of personal stuff tied into a lot of emotion. But finding God's will, I think, is the key for really activating this, uh, this thing about faith to work. But uh, notice verse 11, it was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child. Uh, she was barren and too old. So a medical professional would say it is impossible for her to have a child. I don't know what happens to the woman's eggs that don't get fertilized, but it was impossible. She went through, uh, you know, you, I, would, I would think that she went through her midlife thing, you know, I, you would think at 89 years of age, but she got pregnant anyway. So what's the point in all this? Faith in God's promises and seeing the impossible are connected. The top of that chain, God, and you, that link of faith can make what seems impossible 
It may seem impossible to you how you could ever own a home, how you could ever sell your business, how you could ever start a business, how you could ever go to graduate school. I mean, there's a million reasons why we can't. But if you can become convinced in your heart after praying in the peace of God, or, or maybe you got a prophecy that you, that you believe was the Lord, or it could have been a vision or dream, but, but, but or it could have been reading the scripture. When my wife had breast cancer, I read an, ob, an oblique scripture then there in the Old Testament. It said, all will be well. And it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I knew she was going to get healed from her cancer. But somehow God speaks to us, and that becomes our, 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 what we stand on. Uh, but faith can make impossible things possible. Mark 9.23, Jesus said this. Jesus said, all things are possible, possible for who? Those who believe. All things are possible. Now, that didn't say all things will happen. How many know if, if you had the biblical gift of healing... Uh, it, it's foreseeable that nobody would die on the earth ever again. So is it possible? Yes, but that, that just because it's possible doesn't mean it's going to happen. But what it should do for us is open a wide door of hope that though you may be in a difficult spot, let me brag on the Lord a little bit more when we bought this place. This place, what you see, the building, the remodeling, the furnishings, the, the land, the playground, everything, about $11.5 million. Now, that's a long ways from where we started. We maybe had a million dollars in the bank when we started. We had a building that hadn't sold. COVID was going on, and I'm continually doing these what-if spreadsheets and trying to figure things out. And lo and behold, we end up with more than we thought we would get when we started, more building, better stuff. I mean, it just like God just blew our socks off, and now we're fixing to break a million dollars on the mortgage. Now, think about it. That's in two, in two years. It started at $5 million and down, sold our other building. And why am I saying all this? God can do the impossible. I remember when our elders and, and pastors and all our wives, we all got together and we, had, uh, we were at Rick Doty's house and we had a lunch and we were talking about it. Should we do it? Should we not do it? And, 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 and is the offer enough? And oh, and every time something would come up. But I'm telling you, friends, God can do the impossible. Because I am not smart enough and you don't have enough money you're willing to give. But God can do what is impossible if he, is if he can find an Abraham that will step out. Now, let's look at verse 13. And i got to be honest, this part confuses me or it used to confuse me until I really got into it. Verse 13, all these people, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... They all died still believing what God had promised them. Another translation, all of these people trusted God until the time they died. Now, this next phrase is the one that troubled me. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They didn't receive what was promised. In other words, they rubbed the lamp, they had the right confession, but it didn't happen. What does this mean? Abraham had Isaac, but he didn't see the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore of his descendants. There was a part of his faith that was fulfilled 
and a part that would yet be fulfilled. I, I, I have uh, 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 this fourth one, uh, the fourth life application. People can still be living by faith when they die, even if they don't receive the things they've promised. Again, let me, let me back up a little. Uh, I skipped a verse or two. They didn't receive what was promised. They agreed. Now, listen to this. This is an outlook on life. They agreed they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. In other words, earth was not their home. And I think, and listen to me on this one, I think we make a mistake sometimes when we say, my children. I mean, no, they're not our children. You're entrusted for a season. Or how about when we say, I'm going home. Now, we say that all the time. When I get ready to go to Mississippi, I'm going home. When, when I leave church after lunch, I'm going home. Earth is not our home. If we are believers in Christ, it doesn't stop here. We're looking for what's beyond that. Come on now. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. There's going to be a place where there's no, we'll read it in a bit. But sometimes when God blesses us, we get too used to life on this earth and sometimes when life frustrates us, we can't be happy because this is all there is. But these guys, notice what it said. Uh, they were looking in verse 16 for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that's why God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. And let me say this to you. God has prepared a city for us. It is called the New Jerusalem. I'll read about it in just a moment. But listen... Let me, let's go back to that life application number four. You can live by faith even when you die uh, and not receive what was promised. I, I, have, I have observed many people over the years who had a child or a spouse that was away from God. And it would bring that mother to her knees. She would visit the jail every Sunday. It was the burden of her life. And at the point of her death, that child had not made a step to Christ yet. But I suggest to this, because of her prayers over all those years, one day that boy is coming to Jesus. One day he's going to repent. One day he's going to turn around. The problem is, is when we give up on faith, we give up on God too quickly. Yes, sir. I, I, since I've been in ministry, I have heard what were, are considered valid prophets in America prophesying about a revival that's coming to America before Jesus returns. Well, guess what? We got a little foretaste of it this spring. You remember it started in Asbury University. Before we knew it, colleges all over America were breaking out in worship and repentance sessions. We had for six weeks Tuesday night worship, and we thought that that was going to be the revival, but what it turned out to be was a foretaste. But what it, what it showed, though, is how many Christians there were that were hopeful that God was going to pour out his spirit. See, our faith was just hoping and longing, and we were looking for more. Listen, just because you don't see it happen does not mean you failed on your deathbed. Are you with me today? Our job is to believe God. Our job is to have faith. It's God's job to take Isaac and turn him into Jacob and turn him into 12 sons who will have kids as numerous as the stars in the sky. Our part, though, is to believe. Now, let me get into something real difficult. I want to ask you a question here. Sometimes we have faith, but what we pray and believe doesn't happen. Anybody can say, been there, preacher? And guess what it can do to you? It can devastate you. 
Uh, it, it could be something as serious as bankruptcy and praying that you don't go bankrupt. It could be praying for a loved one that has a terminal disease and they die and they're not healed. And all of a sudden, your life stops. Well, now listen, maybe it wasn't God's will. Maybe it wasn't God's timing. Maybe Satan won a battle or someone made a bad choice. But the bottom line is this, even though it's got you down, don't quit. Even though it knocked you down, get back up. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times but rises up again. You say, Pastor, can you give me some more? To help me understand that, I will. Remember David, Old Testament king, uh, Bathsheba, which happened to be a friend's wife. She's taking a bath on top of her apartment building, and he sees her and goes, whoa, I want that woman. And he didn't have enough restraint about him just to go back into his house. He sleeps with her, and she gets on her cell phone a few months later and said, I see that was what's called a joy, O-K-E. And you, so let me say it again. She got on her cell phone and called David. <laughs> and she said, I'm pregnant. And he said, oh, what am I going to do? So he gets this scheme going and he tries to get his friend now, his friend, to come home from the battlefield and sleep with his wife and everything will be okay. But his friend won't do it. So then he gets desperate and he has his friend killed. And now a baby is born. David brings Bathsheba in his house. You think, man, he was a terrible dude. Well, he was. But the New Testament calls him a man after God's own heart. So what does that mean? Even terrible dudes can make mistakes. And God can forgive us and still use us. But anyway, uh, the prophet Nathan exposes him and he repents. He says, I've sinned, I've done wrong. But then Nathan the prophet said, the baby is going to die. And I don't know how long this child was there, but think of the fancy bassinets and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, the fever kicks in. All of a sudden, that baby starts vomiting. And the best doctor you can find can't do anything. And what David did, you read this in Scripture, it's in Samuel. David went to the house of God, and for seven days, he just laid on the floor. He fasted. He wept. He asked for God's forgiveness. He knew it, his, it was his fault. On the seventh day, the baby died. How many can say disappointment, faith, devastated, God didn't answer, I did everything I could, but it still didn't happen? David's attendants were so afraid to come see him because they said, man, if he got so freaked out when the baby was sick, what's he going to do when we tell him that he's dead? And you know what he did when they told him? He got up, he got some water, washed his face, got something to eat, and said, that baby didn't come back to me, but I'm going to that baby. I'm going to keep walking with God. Now, I'm telling you, friend, that is a defining moment. And don't, just because your prayer was not answered, don't let it become Satan's tool to stop you in your pursuit of God. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. All right, let me wrap up with this one, the fifth application. Uh, earth is not our home. We're to be like verse 13, foreigners and nomads here on this earth. The ultimate goal of our faith is, is heaven. Some things are fulfilled on earth, but all things will be fulfilled in heaven. And as I said earlier, sometimes I feel like I'm too much at home here on earth. 
I, I got a little bit of OCD. I don't know where I got it, but I got a little bit. And I want everything about my house to be perfect. Well, not just the house. I want my yard, my garden, and everything. And yesterday I was out there tying a vine to a little trellis. And then I missed one little part of that vine. And the next time I went outside, you don't, you don't, you don't do that, do you? And I went out there and I put a little tile on that thing. I, there's a part of me that just wants to make things here. Life on earth is not intended to be perfect. And if we get too comfortable in our life on earth, we'll get swallowed up by it and we'll miss our heavenly purpose. I'm telling you, listen, the Bible says in James, the poor are rich in faith. I thought everybody was supposed to have money and God would bless. Yeah, but sometimes Christians, the poor are rich in faith. Why is that? They're desperate. They don't have just a plastic heart. I can do most anything within limits with my little piece of plastic. But if you don't have that piece of plastic, life stops. And you may be at the place where you don't have the insurance, you don't have this, the savings or that, and all you've got is God. And that, my friend, is when you really start looking for your heavenly home because your earthly home is not going too good. Are you with me today? But we should be able to be of such a mindset that we can enjoy the good things of this life but still not feel at home, still know there's a place to go, and it's called heaven, and it's coming. Listen to what Hebrews 10 says. When all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. How could that be? Because my identity is often tied up in the things that I have and the car and the house and all that. They, they, they accepted it with joy. Listen, they knew there were better things waiting that would last forever. And this is what I want to tell you today, friends. That needs to be our mindset. Revelation 21, verse 2. This is the latter chapter of the Bible. There's 22 chapters. Revelation 21 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Now, I don't know if this is a literal city or it's just a figurative of a new creation, but the Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And he said, I heard, now, listen, the great white judgment has already happened. Hell is already populated. Heaven is already populated. And now believers are seeing this. They're seeing, listen, I heard a loud shout from the throne. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. No more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. That, friend, is home. And where you are living now, where you're living tomorrow, listen, it's your house, and you can call it home, but in the back of our mind, in the forefront of our mind, we need to be thinking, I'm going somewhere, and it's better than this. I don't care how good this is or how bad this is, I'm headed somewhere. One day Jesus is going to look at me face to face, and hopefully he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Even if it's a little suffering, even if it's a little persecution, even if it's a little pain, even if some prayers are not answered, even if I've got some disappointment, I'm going somewhere, baby. Come on now. And you talk about the streets of gold. I don't know what heaven is going to be like, but that's where our destination is. And that's how people of faith live. The world may mock you. They may make fun of you. Let them. I'm believing the words of Jesus. He that believes in me, though he die, 
yet shall he live. I have gone to prepare a place for you. There are many, it's called King James says, mansions in glory. And I'm coming back to take you to be where I am forevermore. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm done.